Welcome back to the Game of Thrones podcast. The only one in the world, probably. I haven't checked. I am Monty Ashley, and I am here with Brian Hamilton. How's it going, Monty? And Philip Mose Moselak. Hey! And we are going to talk about the episode that aired on May 29th, 2016. Here it is still May 29th, 2016. <gasps> it was called either Blood of My Blood according to HBO, or Blood of My Hand, according to a website I looked at. I saw Blood of My Blood, and uh, that's what I'm going to go with, because it seems to have more uh, more importance to uh, Daenerys' arc. But hey, get your kicks on episode 606. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. Uh, I was hoping for... I thought it was Blood of My Hand the whole time, and I, the whole time I was thinking... So there's going to be somebody with a wounded hand, and then also the hand of the king is going to be injured, and then none of that happened, and I had to throw away all of my theories. Oh no, I'm so sorry. And no one died. Uh, that's okay, they weren't very good theories. We started off north of the wall, where Bran is dead weight, and he had a bunch of cool visions. I believe this is the first time we ever actually see the Mad King on the air, but... I remember watching this and thinking, huh, we are seeing a lot of weird things. Because every time we've seen his visions, uh, we've been going to one place for an entire scene with Max von Sydow, who is now dead. So at this point, we just get a Darren Aronofsky-style uh, montage of a whole bunch of random stuff, and it's great. Is, it, is that the guy who said, burn them all? I believe yeah. so, yeah. That's his catchphrase, burn them all. Burn them all. Really, all he's known for doing is demanding that everybody attacking the castle be burned to death, mm -hmm. which is when Jamie Lannister killed him. I love that a show like this has so much, like, before the series actually started lore that actually has some depth and mirth. Yeah, and I like that they're using Bran as a way to get those flashbacks in when they had kind of established they weren't doing flashbacks in the series. Right, right. But no, this is the first time we see the Mad King, and uh, it was a weird mix of past and present and things that didn't really seem to happen. We get callbacks to last episode where he's in a weird White Walker purgatory where everyone's still slowly dead and frozen, and the uh, the main White Walker dude touches him, which is, I, I don't know what reality that exists in, but suffice to say, that's not like the reality of Game of Thrones. Well, but now he can track him down, though, right? Because yeah. he's touched him. It seems like now Bran is a beacon for the Night King, and Bran is rushing to get south of the Wall, which I'm not sure that's a good plan for anybody. No, I mean, who would want to be down south of the Wall? That seems like a horrible idea at this point. <laughs> and then uh, some joker with a flaming mace roars up and says, uh, come with me if you want to live. Hmm. <laughs> that is the best summary of that scene I could uh, ever have conjured up. Good job, Monty. <laughs> that, that was the slickest use of a torch on a chain I've ever seen. I know. Was that the same? Was that the same contraption device thing as the fiery hand grenades that they used last week? That the children used last week? I don't think so. It the hand grenades seemed just like hand grenades, whereas his thing just. It either set things on fire or just pummeled them. It didn't really explode that much. Right, right. It was a nice use of uh, budget. We got some nice fire effects and people yeah. actually covered in fire, which was nice to see from uh, the most profitable show on television. <laughs> uh, 
I always like to see those skeletons because they're so Ray Harryhausen. They even oh, make yeah. a cool little rattle when they die. There was something I wanted to talk about last week when none of us actually were on the show. Uh, ah, the, good times. Uh, that was such a great episode. I wish it could have been on. But uh, Erica and uh, Jason and Stephen did a fantastic job. Anyway, um, they did uh, this amazing, um, like, weird... <sighs> frame rate effect with all of the creatures that were um, ravaging the tree. And it looked like the opening shots of Mad Max Fury Road where things were ever so slightly off frame rate wise. And I loved it to death. And they didn't really do that this time. You mentioned Ray Harryhausen. So that's where my brain went. But it did incredible, uh, incredible effects uh, last week to amazing effect. And this week, especially with uh, the little bit we got before uh, Bran is taken off by magical mystery horseman. <laughs> And uh, that man turns out to be Uncle Benjen, who, if you only watch the show, I think you have probably forgotten that he exists because he was a plot point in like episode three. And that's it. And that's like what season one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like that. Okay, because I didn't know who he was at all. I was just like everybody. I, I could feel the world saying, oh, wow, it's this guy. And I'm like, I have no idea who this guy is. Thankfully, Bran said, oh, Uncle Benjen, just for everyone that didn't remember. When, the reason Jon Snow went to the Night's Watch in the first place, besides being a bastard, was that he has an Uncle Benjen who's in the Night's Watch who's going to look out for him. And Uncle Benjen's a ranger, and he's going to show Jon Snow what's what. But as soon as he got to the wall, they said, Benjen's missing. He hasn't been back for a couple of days. And every time Jon Snow was sent north of the Wall, it was to look for Uncle Benjen. And they never found him. It turns out he was out there anyway. Yeah, uh, what did he say? He wound up being stabbed by the dragon glass that we saw in the children flashback last episode, where they created the White Walkers. The same method they used uh, to create the White Walkers brought him back to life in a way that didn't turn him into a literal White Walker zombie mindless uh, savage, but he still seems to be through and through Uncle Benjen based on the you know two episodes we saw of him in the first season. Yeah, he's a guy, at least. And he takes orders from the Three-Eyed Raven, which is now Bran? I, I, I'm excited to see how that turns out because uh, according to Max von Sydow, he will not be an old man in a tree. He will be a <laughs> young man on a sled. And I'm guessing that... <laughs> it grows, bud. It all comes together. <laughs> <laughs> spoilers for an 80 year old movie i feel like at this point um he is kind of blazing his own trail much like the writers are blazing their own trail when it comes to actually coming up with the freaking plot for this uh and i can't figure out whether or not the three-eyed raven stature title thing gets passed on to bran at this point or if he's still some ephemeral thing because after max von Sydow died i'm assuming is when benjen was called upon by the spirit of the three-eyed raven unless everything happened concurrently in which case who knows but um i really hope he's still out there somewhere because bran needs more guidance definitely <laughs> sure does see now i had heard a theory Ooh. and this is again theory theory which is the three-eyed raven Sido is bran Simply, he has not become, you know, he hasn't aged up to Max von Sydow. Like, he's doing a little, this might be a little bit of flash cast on you, and I'm sorry, but a lot of time travel's happening. Well, Bran's story has now involved time travel, and in fact, with the Hodor thing, it looks like he can actually affect the past, which I'm super excited about, and I'm hoping there are ridiculous time loop paradoxes to come. 
And if that means Max von Sydow, the actor, gets to come back on the show, even if it has to be old Bran, I'm totally there for it. Me too. I agree. He's fantastic in the, what, five episodes we got to see him in? <laughs> um, any, anyone have anything else to talk about for the Bran storyline? The one thing that jumped out at me was a line that Benjen said um, about the Dragonglass. He was telling the story about how he got uh, revived by the Dragonglass. And he said something along the lines of, well, you know, you saw that, right? And that made me think, wait, how does how does he know? Uh, like, why did Benjen Zombie see or at least know that Bran had this vision of the children creating the White Walkers with the dragon glass? Hmm. Well, he has some communication with the Three-Eyed Raven. He may be in the same state that Bran was in seasons Two and three, where the three-eyed raven came to him in a dream? Interesting. I mean, he is Uncle Benjen, so he's of Stark blood, presumably. That's true. I mean, Bran is the only one at this point we've gotten to see that can warg and can do all the weird um, time travel things. So I wonder if it's a Stark blood thing or if it's a wall thing or who knows. But I wonder if Benjen is on that bloodline of uh, weird magical mystery visions. Who knows? <laughs> Could be. Uh, somewhere, uh, I guess, Old Town, there's this storyline about Samwell, whose father hates him because mm-hmm. he's fat. This that- came out of left field. What do you guys think of the fact that this was even included? Set aside how the scene turned out, because I thought it was very well, but the fact that they spent so much time on this, what do you think of that? This is a plot device to get the Valerian <laughs> sword. Yep. I don't care about Sam or Gilly or their son or his sister or his mother or his father. This father is as paper thin a villain as Ramsey is, (laughs) but not as interesting (laughs) at it. Also, side note, no Ramsey this week. Praise the Lord. No Ramsey. Like I this. I don't know why. For storytelling, this subplot has no interest for me. At least there's a Valyrian sword in it that I assume will eventually be used to chop off the Night's King's head, hopefully while people are watching. That would be fantastic. Yeah, as soon as I saw that sword, I was like, uh, wait a minute. This plot line is is pretty flimsy because <laughs> I know what's going to happen. Yeah. I don't know. The fact that we even spent this much time on it, I, I enjoyed it. They did it fairly well, question mark, but I'm a fan of the <laughs> no humor. No exclamation well, point. <laughs> I'm a fan of the little bits of humor they throw in because Samwell is a really great character in small doses, and I feel like they overdosed a bit too much on Samwell. Uh, my favorite moment that I want to call out is when uh, he does a big dramatic goodbye, I'll see you soon, take care of my son, etc., etc. The music swells. He's gone for maybe 15 seconds before coming back and saying, okay, let's go. Let's all get out of here. And the timing on that was perfect. I just wish the father had more to him than, but he just hates his son because he has read books and is fat. That's what we're going with? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, He's despicable, but in a real fattest sort of way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well. And that's the end of Old Town or wherever they are. <laughs> yep. No, uh, I was surprised to see the really uh, ornate carriage they were in. And I was surprised. Well, not surprised, but the fact that they really hammed it up on the uh, fat phobia and the shame in Samwell and the Night's Watch and everything. 
who knows? I mean, that's just indicative of the society they live in, I guess. But yeah. at this point, you know, I could take it or leave it. They have their sword. Let's move on. <laughs> it's nice that Gilly got a new dress. I mean, she's been wearing rags. Well, we this get whole to time. see her. We yeah, we get to see her in in a beautiful way rather than the usual greasy cold way. Mm-hmm. What's your color, Mose? Midnight blue or purple? <laughs> yeah, I think I'd go with the silver. <laughs> Uh, want to jump to King's Landing now? A whole bunch of stuff happened in King's Landing. Let's do it. There's a lot in oh, King's shit. Landing. All right. Uh, Tommen's basic character trait seems to be that he is easily manipulated. He is literal clay. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and I did not think Marjorie was going to survive this episode. Me neither. I was convinced that this whole plan to have the Kingsguard and the army stand down and let the Tyrell army in was just a trick so the Tyrell army would be trapped and then they'd get killed by Cersei's plan for vengeance. But that didn't happen, and uh, apparently there was more than one plan going on to save Marjorie, and Marjorie's plan took over while Elena's plan didn't. Her plan also seemed to involve like a fraction of the people that the <laughs> army thing did, and it also steamrolled over everything. Uh, Tommen walks out. And they just kind of lay down their arms and everything's okay at this point. And the fact that this came out so so far out of left field that we as the audience didn't even know. Like when when plots like this happen, we usually see all the machinations, all the discussions, all the thoughts of like, well, this needs to happen. This needs to happen. Like we see a lot in King's Land and we even get a scene just like that later in the episode with um, uh, Jamie and Cersei. But this kind of... uh, political decision popped out of nowhere that and that surprised me i mean this whole thing this whole like gambit is because he's got the worst case of booty blindness i've ever (laughs) seen in my entire life and people are ready to to throw down blood over this i've missed hanging out with you on skype mose oh my god (laughs) i I really enjoyed when tommen had his little meeting with marjorie where she was saying all the right things like i'm totally religious now i've made some mistakes Loris will have to atone for the things he did. His sins only obscure his good soul. And he looks at Marjorie and says, you're the best person I know. Which I think think it's only true because of all the horrible people in King's Landing that he knows. Oh, yeah. There's nobody good in King's Landing whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah, your mom and dad are brother and sister, number one. Well, he's still officially Tommen Baratheon, although I don't see how anyone says that with a straight face. That's always a surprise whenever I hear someone yeah. say, uh, Baratheon, first of it, what, who? Oh, that's right, no one knows that. Oops. Everyone. Well, everyone knows that, but no one knows that officially. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, Jamie gets fired as Lord Commander of the Kingsguard because apparently you can kill a king and keep your job, but talking smack about the church and you get banished out of town. Mm-hmm. It's all up to the king. It's all absolute. As long as you sit on that chair that Jamie points out, uh, you can do whatever the heck you want. And what Tommen wants is to cast Jamie out to hunt for the blackfish. And he says straight up, like, you sit on the throne. You do not have to obey, obey the gods. I mean, that is like crazy, like announcing of power. Like, you can do whatever you want. But nope, it's all done. I'm done talking about this. See you later. I will say that historically, I believe Julius Caesar was sent out of town with an army to keep him from getting ideas. 
Then he came back with the army and took the whole place over. <laughs> no, no, Daenerys comes later. <laughs> Why is Blackfish important? Um, he was on the show, right? A guy named Blackfish? He had a couple scenes? I definitely mm-hmm. remember that happening. Never fear, Monty and Moe's. I did frantic Googling before recording. <laughs> awesome. Uh, the, yes. The Blackfish was a character who... Um, this the weird little cutaway to Walder Frey and uh, his cronies were all for uh, something to do with Peter Baelish a few episodes ago saying that the Blackfish has amassed what is left of the Vale uh, to march against Winterfell. And that upsets Walder Frey because he wants the Vale back. Um, and the person that uh, Frey brought in to um, into his castle... Lord Lenmuir, it's how big his name was. Yeah, something along those lines. Uh, I have the Game of Thrones Wikipedia page. This is what people tune in for, right? Uh, <laughs> I will say, no, right. Edmure Tully, who uh, uh, is the Blackfish's nephew. Okay. Yeah, that scene was super unsatisfying to me because they showed the prisoner without showing his face, and they panned up, and there's a guy. No one remembers say, him. Right? And then they say his name, and... Look, I remembered everything about Lord Benjen, and I have no idea who that guy is. Mm-hmm. No, that was a little upsetting. I mean, not upsetting. I'm glad that this is happening. This is a cool little side plot to the Siege of Winterfell, eventually, that Frey wants in on the action. He wants to get in on the Frey, uh, but he instead needs to figure out the Blackfish and get the uh, get the Veil back, because he lost it. Yeah. But isn't Jon Snow going somewhere? I thought he was going to the Blackfish. Am I yes. crazy on that? Yeah. That's because Sansa went up to the wall at um, Peter Baelish's uh, suggestion. They're going to meet up with Blackfish. Yeah, so presumably what's going to happen... Well, what people say is going to happen in the show is that Jon Snow and Sansa are going to go meet up with the Blackfish and say, can we have your army to take Winterfell? And then meanwhile, Jamie is supposed to go attack River Run and take it back for the Lannisters or... The Baratheon, the crap, the Iron Throne. Anyway, I assume none of that will actually happen. And it'll be a big mess. So Jamie Lannister and Jon Snow will team up and have a WWF um, tag team match based on two opposing forces with a common enemy. Right, and whoever wins gets a title shot next week. <laughs> yes, that's what I wanted to hear. See, that's where I disagree with you, Monty. I feel like uh, Jamie is going out to kind of take care of the blackfish the way he worded it was much more of a like oh i have to go like round up the blackfish see what he's doing their common enemy is not the uh boltons at winterfell because the people that want to take winterfell want winterfell back for the starks jamie does not want to aid the tullys and the wall in getting uh Stark power, Stark blood back in Winterfell. I feel like he's just tangentially involved at Tommen's kind of cast-offiness. Yeah, but he doesn't really have a goal right now. Like, he had the scene with Cersei where she said, just go do whatever. We're the only two people that matter. So I feel like once Jaime has an army, he'll do whatever seems like a good idea at the time. Mm-hmm. And is he going to get Braun? This is garbage that we have not right. seen Braun this entire season. The best part of his plan was giving a giant bag of gold to Braun, who totally deserves it. <laughs> Every dime. <laughs> and uh, 
speaking of people who are awesome, Richard E. Grant is on this show out of nowhere. Wait, what? That he surprised the, me. Yeah, I love Richard E. Grant, and <laughs> I would be thrilled if this show just had an after show that was 15 minutes of Richard E. Grant and company doing bad renditions of the show so far. <laughs> <laughs> I okay where do we because this was introduced last week these Shakespearean retellings yeah. of the entire rest of the season Shakespearean is a little strong <laughs> <laughs> oh my god where do you stand on this what do you think of these the, weird little retellings they're super fun um the guy who played Ned I thought was great he really brought a lot of humor to the role the writing's terrible it it's in couplets, but it doesn't scan at all, so nope. the rhymes come out of nowhere. Um, I feel like this acting troupe is lucky that they had a little person, because if you're going to do political comedy in Westeros, you need a little person in your cast. Yep. Um, like, I enjoyed them so much that even though we've seen Samwell for years, and I don't care about him, I was totally invested in the theatrical companies infighting <laughs> and office politics scenes. So more of that, less of the other. Yeah. Oh, agreed. Okay. No, I liked uh, the fact that we get to see what everyone else thinks of uh, all the politics going on in Westeros, because they're off in Bravos right now. They're yeah. completely across the sea. They are talking about things that we've seen from our perspective and from all of our characters' perspectives that we're following, but we get to see what news has gotten out, first of all, because we know the secrets that you know Tyrion didn't actually poison uh, Joffrey and little things like that. But On the other hand, they did get the exact line that Tyrion said before shooting his father correct. <laughs> They really Weird. did. <laughs> um, but the fact that they're laughing at these things and not laughing at others and who they have sympathy for and who they're rooting for, I think that's the most fascinating thing about these scenes. Yeah. Arya was the only one who thought Joff Joffrey's death was funny. <laughs> I was expecting her to be, and like, mauled at that moment. <laughs> and it was funny. Yeah. Um, and, in fact, the fake Cersei did do good acting, to the point where even Arya felt bad for her being sad about the death of Joffrey, which I thought was a really interesting choice. And then folding back around to, well, who is this girl? And having a little like, well, what, how would you have written it? Yeah. Um, so it looks like the assassination was paid for by that other girl in the theatrical troupe, which I'm sad about because I was hoping Cersei herself paid for it. She had that scene a couple weeks ago, maybe just last week, where she said, anybody who mocks me, I want them dead. Mm. Oh, I didn't even make that connection. Good eye, Monty. And then uh, Arya turns out to be the worst assassin. Okay. <laughs> I have so much to say about this. Go. But I want to. Okay, okay, fine. I'll go. <laughs> the fact that we've spent this much time with Arya being a no face person and her training to the point where we get to see her be blind and flailing a stick to where she is now being given a second chance at being an assassin for them. Uh, the fact that she gave that all up so quickly. It's an interesting so character quickly. move. No, it's it, it's an interesting character move. I'm a fan of it. I'm glad to see her like reclaim her things. But they spent so much time on it. Like, Does it matter? Oh, it just it upsets me. Uh, it turns out she do, she's not interested in killing anybody. 
except the five or six people she really wants to kill. And um, if she renounces her name and her face enough, it won't matter who those five people are. She'll just be killing people. It's not going to matter for her. Yeah. Um, I was delighted to see Needle again. I liked that. I thought Needle was in the, uh, in the water. I thought she put it in the water. I thought she threw her stuff in the water. She certainly threw the money in the water and then got it back somehow. I, I remember her sticking things under that rock. I feel like people are preying on the fact that this happened two years ago. <laughs> yeah. And so, I, so you can't remember. They, they're giving you no flashbacks to, like, you know, just kind of give you a little bit of a spark of, oh, I remember this. So let's say that Arya leaves the House of Black and White somehow, probably after killing that girl who beat her up so many times. What skills has she learned from her assassin training? Is it just stick fighting and blind fighting? It's nothing. It is okay. literally nothing. I am so upset that she's learned nothing actually practical, but she's learned a lot about herself, which is valuable enough, I guess. Yeah, and she has zero access to faces. I mean, that's the whole cool thing, right? Well, I'm confused about that because we saw that really cool close-up of the guy peeling the corpse's face off. Face off. Mm. And I see what you did there. Yeah, I was doing a hand gesture, too. Good, good. My question is, is it literally just the face skin that they have in there? There's a little magic thrown in. There should be some magic, but they haven't mentioned it at all on the show. And as far as I can tell, the face not only changes your face, but also your height, your voice. It's so incredibly vague, I don't know what to make of it. <laughs> we call that an oopsie in the writing world. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, my objections are taken care of then. That's the, uh, yes. that's the scientific term, an oopsie. <laughs> Uh, the other thing that stood out to me about uh, the whole Arya thing was when the uh, female assassin, the assistant to uh, <laughs> the main dude, uh, comes back and yes, exactly, uh, comes back and says, um, "You promised me something." Yeah. And first of all, this is the this is the first scene I believe where they are ever alone. Every single scene in Bravos in the House of Black and White has been from Arya's perspective. I think this is the first time. Correct me if I'm wrong that we've ever actually seen just the two of them talking. I think so. And aren't they all supposed to be completely free of ego and identity? They shouldn't even be using the first person. It should be a man promised a girl. Ooh. You're right. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe this is all some kind of ruse for Arya's benefit, or like when they're in private, they, they don't really care. They're just uh, you know casual <laughs> enough at this point that they can just say, hey, what's up, you and me? Well, if they're mad at her for holding grudges, then one of the only two assassins in the world, apparently, should not also be holding grudges. I, it, yeah, you know, you bring up a great point because, you know, it seems right now that the House of Black and White has three residents. Yep. And those are the only three assassins in the world. And they're not getting a lot of work, are they? Because apparently they have one job. You had yeah. one job, House of Black and White. Come on. <laughs> it seems like a world where there's more people to assassinate than just an actress. 
Well, like, at this know. point, I'm hoping that something big enough happens that we don't get another scene of Arya flaking out. There's no way there's going to be a third <laughs> chance, as the main dude said, and there's no way that there's anything else she can learn from this because she knows she is Arya Stark despite all the anonymity training she's been going through. Well, I'm going to go out on a limb and make a prediction that either, Predict. next, week, either next week or the week after we get the scene where the other girl goes into Arya's room, there's noise, she comes out, she tells the guy, it is done. Then she walks out of the House of Black and White, there's a surprisingly, there's a shot that's held surprisingly long, and then she peels off her face and it's Arya and she's got needle and she walks down the road whistling a happy tune. So you're saying, because I'm ready to up the ante on this, so she's going to kill the other girl, take her face, go back to, you know, the other guy, the man, and then rip off her face and no. say, hey, hey, it's Arya. No, she's going to tell him it's done. So he thinks that Arya's dead. Ooh, and then she leaves. Okay. Re- rendering the last two years of her plot completely pointless. Mm-hmm. And then she goes to, let's say, Old Town. (laughs) Well, we have to have Arya meet up with Jon Snow and Sansa. I mean, that's kind of critical at this point, right? That'd be nice. It would be nice, but how is she going to do that? She's so far removed from everything that... I mean, crazier things have happened in Game of Thrones, but why would she want to go back there? I mean, travel time is very variable on this show. Littlefinger can teleport from one side of the map to another (laughs) during an episode power of little finger yeah uh also there are some horses out in the desert which the op- the opening credits insist on tagging as vice dothrak even though when they're not there it's always bugged me uh daenerys has plans now big plans very very big plans uh she thousand wants- ship plan yeah she says we're a week from marine okay let's go there she asks who has a thousand ships the answer is nobody yet Apparently, she's also planning on the Iron Islands building a giant fleet, which I realized this was not in this episode, but I would just like to say they do not have the trees for a thousand ships in the Iron Islands. Oh, no, not one bit. That doesn't make any sense. They barely have trees. Yeah. Like, you need a heavily forested area to be your ship builders, not all. There you go. Sam talked about it in, in his uh, the old town with all the trees. He said spruce, birch, oh. bit, 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 bit. See, there Great. you go. Shrimp gumbo, fried shrimp, shrimp scampi. <laughs> then all we need is a justification for Old Town to build a thousand ships to attack Westeros with. The question of infrastructure and <laughs> logistics. <laughs> I do have questions about the infrastructure and logistics about this country. Like, do you have any? I know you have it's a... It's magical. They have a King's Road. Uh, oh, and then uh, Daenerys rides a dragon and gives a great speech. Okay. What, what was the purpose of that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> well, okay. Dragon. Sorry. Dragon. Dragon? Hey, pump, pump, pump up the, this, <laughs> you know, group of uh, savages that they're going to build the ships? No, they're just willing to go on the ships. Because remember... Dothraki are afraid of boats. It's the great black salt sea or something. Yeah. But, you know, now they're totally willing to ride on boats. Because dragons. Dragons. 
for a scene gotcha. that could have been done anywhere with anything. It was it was just a monologue from Daenerys saying things she has already said many times before. And they blew a whole chunk of their um, special effects budget on it, which is awesome. It looked great. There was an amazing shot, the very last shot of the episode, where they close uh, zoom in on the uh, on the dragon's open mouth, and it's incredibly detailed and incredibly gross and incredibly real. And it was amazing. It was a shot of a dragon's mouth where it could have otherwise been anywhere else in the episode. Maybe I don't know. Funny you mention that because <laughs> this dragon budget actually detracted from the budget of Jamie Lannister taking his horse up the steps and they superimposed his head (laughs) into some sort of, it was like a gif workshop. Well, you know, I was surprised at how good that horse was. Like taking the shot at face value, most horses are not eager to go up steps like that, but that one just went straight up without arguing. Magic. (laughs) Of all the magic in Game of Thrones. (laughs) I don't think it can go down. Nope. Uh, that's the tricky part. It can only ascend stairs, and then once it's at the top, it has to die. I, I think they have to build it a sled or something. Ooh, horse sled. That'd be fun. <laughs> uh, so, this episode, as with many Game of Thrones episodes, struck me as kind of disjointed, like a bunch of different plots going on. That's how Game of Thrones works. It's very scatterbrained and difficult to follow at times, especially when people are now so far removed from the main storyline. Daenerys always has been, and even with Tyrion in the mix, who we didn't see this episode, uh, was so far, so far out of the the continuity of everything. Bran, what the hell's going on with Bran? He's so far out of everything. It feels even more disjointed and weird with all these extra people scattered all around the map that... They're all going to come back together eventually, hopefully maybe someday Mm. soon. But I'm hoping that, you know, each plot can stand up on its own. We spent way too much time with Samwell for it to have been justified for such a weak (laughs) plot point. Yep. That's how I feel. I agree. (laughs) And, And I know we're supposed to be excited that, I mean, honestly, everybody's supposed to be excited that there's two new players in the mix. This prisoner guy and uh, Benji. Benjamin. But Benjamin, who, sorry, excuse me. Um, I, but it was like a furniture move yet again. It's like, okay, well, you didn't really go anywhere. It's just, but now we're going to do ships and we got a dragon again. Yeah. Like again, they trimmed Bran's guardians and then brought in another <clears throat> guardian for Bran. <laughs> Bran flakes. Yeah. <laughs> All of his guardians flake out. The problem with Bran being an important character is that him not having legs is starting to really impact his mobility. And they killed his main <laughs> moving dude. That's yeah. not cool. I tends to do that. <laughs> I, well, I feel like eventually they're just going to have to bite the bullet and make up a semi-mystical way that he gets his legs back. Kind of like in Prison Break, and hear me out, because this is relevant. In Prison Break, Wentworth Miller was covered in tattoos. That was a, an sure. essential part of the plot because he had the map of the prison and a little note on his rib saying, you're going to need this size screw and this is the home address of the guards and all this sort of thing. But once this show had like left that prison, it was turning into a huge hassle to put the tattoos all over him anytime he wore anything but a long-sleeved shirt. So he That's spent about right. a year in a long-sleeved shirt 
which is a shame because he'd worked out a lot for the show. And then they invented a special lasering technique that just removed all his tattoos. <laughs> like, immediately. <laughs> and nobody bought it, but everybody felt so bad for Wentworth Miller that he always had to wear a long-sleeved shirt that the audience just said, yeah, that's fine. It's not even in the top 10 dumbest thing that's happened on this show. So we need long shirt sleeve, long sleeve shirt sympathy for Bran and give him legs back. Right. He we need steampunk legs. I'm, I'm saying Ooh. he has a vision where the Night King looks at him, says, you are not a fit enemy for me. Maybe if you could walk. Boom. And then Bran wakes up and stands up. Just any small amount of hand-waving to justify it, and I think people will accept it. <laughs> I mean, of all the hand-waving they've done on the show, that would not be that big a deal. Like, we know the actor can walk. We see it all the time now. I feel like that's kind of where they were going with that. Like, that's just a way to get him to walk around a bit. And then they spend way more time in the hallucinations and visions rather than the real world. Because, hey, the real world's hella boring when you can't walk uh, for Bran. But when when they're doing those magical, fantastical fantasy things in the uh, dream realm, then, yeah, totally. Let's make him walk. Let's give him more things to do. But I, there's only so many times... We they can have the scene of people dragging our hero to safety. Mm -hmm. And I think we may have reached that number. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Uh, on a side note related to that, have any of you seen Hodor taped to any whole door uh, buttons in elevators lately this week? Not personally, but certainly on Twitter. I've seen yes. several Twitter in my office. Huge. Several in my office building. <laughs> <laughs> it's been uh, heartbreaking going up to the 18th floor. <laughs> well, luckily, nobody ever pushes that button anyway, because if you're too late to the elevator, the heck with you. It, it does literally nothing. Like, those two open door and closed door things don't do anything that just make you feel <laughs> good about yourselves. Uh, what do you say to a bring out your dead round of any extra uh, observations you had about this episode? Because I have one I want to talk to you guys about before we uh, sign off for the night. Um, I will briefly say that I think this show is not good at subtle villains. Like... If it's a character they're hoping to turn us around on, like Jamie or Cersei, that's fine. But if somebody is just supposed to be evil, like Ramsay or Craster or Samwell's father, Joffrey, Joffrey, they just go all in on the evil. And I think it's kind of a flaw that they keep saying, this is a world of shades of gray, except for these guys that are pure evil and shout things like, burn them all! <laughs> yeah. I want more Littlefinger. Littlefinger is the closest guy that seems like he could be a... I mean, we know he's not a great guy, but he's not done anything overtly super evil. But, like, he could be the greatest of all villains if they gave him a little bit more oomph. Yeah. More For Littlefinger, more Bronn. For a character I hate as much as Littlefinger, you're <laughs> actually right. I mean, he's the—he's probably the least bad of the bad people. <laughs> but he's got plans. I'm not sure he does. I think he's faking it now. Oh, Speaking man. of faking it, I want to talk about uh, Marjorie. Have you <laughs> shut up? Have you? Uh, we like a good segue, is all. There's, <laughs> there's no way Marjorie actually believes in this Lord of Light stuff, right? No. Or not Lord of Light? The no. um, the no. sparrow. No. Okay, cool. She just said that to get out of jail and to maintain her hold over the king. Right. Uh, so Tommen is literal clay on two feet. 
and he's being pulled out on several different sides by Marjorie the Sparrow and Cersei. And at this point, he's just a pawn. And the fact that Marjorie and the High Sparrow are kind of teaming up for a hot sec just to get Marjorie out of jail is leading to consequences for uh, Tommen. Because when you look at his face as he's banishing Jamie from King's Landing, he, I can't tell, and I don't think you're supposed to be able to tell, if he actually believes it or he's doing it because he knows that the Sparrow slash Marjorie want him to. And I'm sure their end game is to make sure he believes in the Sparrow's uh, faith and beliefs and rules. But you really can't tell whether or not it's him talking or the Sparrow talking. Because honestly, he's too young the, to have his own developed stuff. Yeah. Well, here's, this, this is a problem of where you're inferring storyline that isn't there. And we shouldn't have to be doing that. Mm-hmm. Like you shouldn't be having to do that much work to get to what the plan is. Like we should at least have some idea of where the bomb is and they're not (laughs) giving that to us. And that's problematic. My concern is that Marjorie is my favorite because Natalie Norbert is great. Mm -hmm. And Olena Tyrell is also my favorite because Diana Rigg is also great. She showed up for five seconds today. Yeah. Yeah. She didn't say anything, but she got a lot done with just little gestures that made it clear that she was in charge of the Tyrell army, not Jamie, and also not the idiot who was sitting on the horse. <laughs> no, that was her. That's not her father, is it? Oh, it can't be. No. Okay. I, I thought that was her father. Sorry. Continue. But I'm concerned that both of those characters are going to have to die before the end of the series because they are both too sensible or whatever big dramatic conclusion is planned. Like, we're going to have to have some giant dragon flying destroy the zombies, and here is the one person who finally gets the Iron Throne and unites everything, and they're here to save us all. But if Marjorie and Olena were in charge, I don't think we'd need to be saved. I don't think so either. I think they're going to have to be treacherously killed so that the less competent people can be in charge and need to be saved by the heroes. And I will be sad when that happens. If, I mean, even if someone else comes to power on the Iron Throne, they would not be able to lead without uh, Marjorie and uh, Elena showing up and being awesome. Like, if they're still alive, the show isn't over. Yep. So I... I realize that my favorite characters will have to die. I will be sad when that happens. You've uh, made that acceptance way earlier than most Game of Thrones fans. I was heartbroken <laughs> at the end of season one. Aww. All right. I think that about covers this episode in excruciating detail. I mean, delightful detail. <laughs> You're welcome for being the <laughs> smartest guy around the water cooler on Tuesday. <laughs> uh, I have been Monty Ashley. I'm Phil Moselak. And I've been Brian Hamilton. And that's not how we normally end the show, and it confused everybody. <laughs> See you next week. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> it's okay. I'll edit that. <laughs> <laughs>